Hello and welcome to Clear Talk Podcast. Our topic today is a, a subject that I am very passionate about, and that is how to budget and how to develop budgets that you can use throughout the year to help monitor and measure your success as you go through the year. My name is Joel Harris. I'm the president of Solutions 360. And today I'm very honored to have an esteemed uh, colleague in our industry who knows accounting and finance better than anyone else I know. Welcome, Eric, to uh, Clear Talk. Thank you for having me. Uh, this is a subject that I like to preach on quite a bit, and I'm very glad to be here. Well, we'll try not to talk over each other because I know we both have a lot of passion for this. But let's get started by giving our audience a little bit of sense of uh, the work that you've done in this field and, and your background. Okay. Um, I've got both a master's degree and an undergraduate degree in accounting. So I'm somewhat of an accounting based person. I started out in public accounting. And then and then since then, I've worked primarily for entrepreneurial companies and primarily in the construction industry. And that's been over about 40 years. Um, I have several certifications, of, you know, CPA, CMA, C, uh, CCIFP. But the bottom line is, my goal is always to help entrepreneurs get to the next level. And, and I've worked very hard with some very sharp entrepreneurs. And, and that's kind of my passion is to get, get companies to grow and thrive. I'm glad you mentioned that word entrepreneurs. Our audience, a lot of our, our member companies uh, consider themselves a privately held entrepreneur family-owned business. And a lot of those businesses, in my experience, think budgeting is just for corporate businesses and or to present some result to a bank, but not really to be used in their day-to-day -day or their operational oversight of their businesses. What would you, why would a family-owned business develop a discipline of budgeting in your opinion? Well, the most important thing about budgeting is to help you do course correction. And if you've never set a course, you can't do a course correction. It, no matter whether you're publicly held or privately held, events change rapidly and they've been in particularly the environment we're in now and you know you need to know when to pivot but if you don't first establish what direction you're headed you can't measure when you're out of sync with the planned outcome and the ability to pivot quickly when you're not in sync with the planned outcome is essential and more so today than than in the past that's a that's a fantastic point. More so today than than ever, right? Our businesses are no longer being run on kind of the historical. It came in yesterday. It must come in in the future. It's a really great point. So, in my experience, there's lots of excuses that companies offer for not building a budget. And so I'm going to give you three or four of them. Maybe you might have some add to those. Sure. What would you say? We're a privately held company. I don't want my team knowing what my personal income is. They might ask for a raise. Well. I look at this a little differently. Uh, the company that I work for, we're very fortunate. We're, co we're called an open book company. And that means we share the financial results, not just with the management group, but with the whole team. And the, the founder of our company looks at it this way, that if people don't know what the score is, they don't want to play in the game. And so we're very big on open book and sharing and teaching financial literacy. But even those companies that say, well, I don't know if I want to go that far, at least at the revenue level and the gross margin level, they need to share this information. You know, it, you wouldn't go bowling if they, they covered the pins and you couldn't see how many pins went down, right? 
Right. So it's this is the same thing. This is a great game of business. You need to know the score. So, uh, you know, I, anybody that tells me, well, I can't share the information with my with the, the team, the team that's trying to build this outcome. I say, well, how do you expect them to jump in? They don't they don't even know what the score is in the game. And I, in my consulting business, I've, I've seen that problem, right? They, the leaders will start pushing initiatives and, and employees say, why? Well, why would I do this extra work? Because they don't understand the impact of, of that um, uh, opportunity to improve their business. So I couldn't agree with you more. So I like that, I like that uh, guidance, be an open book company, but it takes discipline to teach financial literacy to everyone in the company. And if you don't have time to do that, at least provide it to the gross margin or the gross contribution line by your revenue segments. And that's a outstanding advice. Um, what if they said, well, my, my managers treat a budget as a spin plan and I don't want to give them authority to spin before I know which way this cookie is going to crumble. Well, I, I think that uh, it depends on how you go about budgeting. Um, I always like to use the reference that, that that the budget is more a gauge, like a gauging tool, and it's not an anvil. So don't beat people up with it, right. but gauge where you're going. And as far as the spending plan, again, this is some more personal bias is uh, in our organization, we compensate everybody on outcomes. Uh, everybody in the company has some form of compensation tied to an outcome. And so when you tie it to outcomes, you don't have to worry about people like, in, you know, like as the government spending everything in the budget, because if they're tied to an outcome and they beat the outcome, there's something in it for them. You know, so I, that, that's my my take on people overspending the budget and the same thing with people underspending. Uh, and that's another thing that people never seem to understand is you can underspend a budget and you can starve an organization. If, you know, in, in our organization, uh, we need a lot of trucks uh, to do our service work. Well, if you underspend on trucks and you can't run crews, you're actually starving it. And so uh, the, the budget helps you on both sides. You know, it, it's not always an over budget. Uh, sometimes it's an under budget. Sometimes you're not actually spending enough to develop the results you want. Great, great, great point. I know you've already answered this in our preamble, but I'm going to ask it again. Okay. Um, um, sometimes people use the excuse, well, the budget is always wrong. So why would I spend time putting together something that's wrong? Why, why is not having a target worse than missing the target? You know, I, I'll give you a, a great analogy. Uh, they say that when you get on the airplane, I know you do a lot of flying around with, with your various customers, that that airplane is off course something like 95% of the time, and it just minutely corrects all the time, but it's coming back. And so, yeah, the budget's going to be wrong. But again, the point is you've got some guidance out there to, you know, where we're trying to get to. And even if it's wrong, you know that the events are not coming out the way you thought they were. And so it challenges you, you know, how, how good were my assumptions? Is my outcome wrong because the performance was wrong or is the outcome wrong because I made a bad assumption? You need to go to that discipline and, and ask yourself those tough questions. That That's brilliant. I have not ever thought of it that way, but I, I like that analogy to a flight plan or a roadmap. Where now I can see when I'm getting off course, and yeah. it's it's a living uh, progress as opposed to a one-time exercise. 
Uh, any other excuses you've heard that are common across our 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 companies about not building a budget that you'd like I, to address? I, I know some people say it's it's too complex, uh, takes too much time for too for too little output. And my answer to that is it doesn't have to be complex. First of all, uh, even a simplistic budget is, is better than no budget. If you just uh, make some assumptions about your revenue, your gross profit, and your fixed cost, that's better than no budget. So it doesn't have to be complex. And when people say, well, yeah, but it's a lot of effort we never use, I challenge them. I say, that's the issue. The issue, the issue. is not the process. It's that the follow through. You're not using it. And, 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 and that would be my response to those questions. That's, that's excellent. Um, sometimes I see the CEO and CFO, and I've been guilty of this myself, getting together and putting down a top-down budget uh, for the organization. Is this the best approach for an organization? I, I think a top-down budget is the worst approach. And unfortunately, uh, some CFOs and some CEOs uh, believe they're the smartest guy in the room, and that is a very dangerous assumption, very dangerous. The people that are closest to what you do for a living have the best input. So first of all, you want to glean that input from those people. Uh, what we do, and, and I would suggest this is one approach, is we do a bottom-up budget. We let all of the profit-centered managers come up with their key assumptions, the ones I talked about, uh, revenue, gross profit, and fixed cost. But then at the top level, we have two things. Uh, one thing is we have some benchmarks we want them to get. They can devise the budget, but we have certain benchmarks, and those might be return on investment or uh, a certain growth rate, but those are top-level um, if you will, benchmarks we're trying to get to. But then we also have, as you, as you would normally, like a veto power. Like if we have a bunch of people who, based on what we see, seem to think it's different, well, then we're going to go back and we're going to challenge those assumptions and say, why do you believe this? And, and that way, the, the reason I say a bottom-up uh, approach is the most important is for a budget to be a living, active tool you have to have ownership. And if you dictate what that budget is, you will never get ownership. They have to have some skin in the game. They have to have some input so they feel accountable for it. You can't hold somebody accountable for something you devised. That's just, that's just uh, not going to work as a, as a game plan. Couldn't, could, could not. Well, so I always get this wrong, but I agree with you completely. <laughs> I always get the negatives wrong on that with the American, um, but Americanisms. Anyway, so let's. Uh, so the basis of our podcast today is 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 uh, an article you wrote last year. Said, "Does your 2022 budget hold water?" We reprinted it because I think it's timeless. It should just say, "Your does your fiscal year uh, budget hold water?" Because I think it's true every year. And we're going to talk about that uh, budget process itself. But let's start with kind of you mentioned this uh, a little earlier. But uh, what are what are the key elements of building a budget? How do we? Uh, what are the essential elements to not go overly complex to make sure that we get right first? And let's start sure. with our way down. The, the the most critical assumption. There's three assumptions, but the most critical assumption is your revenue volume. If you don't get that right. That is the easiest road to, to find yourself in hot water um, because that's critical. You have to know what sort of volume you're going to do. 
in the coming year. And then the next assumption is that volume is going to be at a certain gross profit or gross margin level. You need to get that assumption right because that creates a contribution margin. That contribution margin pays for your fixed cost. The fixed costs are probably the easiest to get right because they're historical and they don't seem to to a large extent, they don't trend uh, rat- erratically like some other things do. Thanks for, for that. We'll dig, dig into that a little bit on each one of those. Sure. Um, as you put the budget together, you start off by recommending that you have context to the budget for comparison. Tell us a little bit more about what you mean by context. Context is extremely important. Uh, uh, another word would be comparison. You need to know what you're, compar- what you're comparing to what. Because you're going to get a you're going to get a bad outcome if you're using the wrong comparison, and, and revenue is a, is a good is a good thing to look at. Uh, we have two basically different sides of our business. We have a service dispatch type of business, and then we have a new construction business. And when we look at the revenues for those to try to come up with the revenue assumptions, we look at different things because the context is not the same for long term contracts as it is for recurring revenue service dispatch type work. And, and, and the why we're on there, let me just expand a little bit on the new construction. A lot of people look at their backlog. What is the backlog? What's under contract? And that's one of the things to look at, but you certainly don't want to look, look at that in a vacuum. Um, if you want to look at for instance, in new construction revenues, what you should look at is your most recent level of acquiring work. In other words, new contracts sold. Yep. It would be much better that you look at the most recent either three months or six months than you look at year to date. Yep. In other words, if you took the most recent 90 days and multiplied by four, that's going to be a better assumption than looking at the year to date. Or if you took the if, if the sales cycle is longer, if you took six months and said, okay, here's six months, let's double it, that should be kind of an acquisition target for next year. But that's the idea of context. Um, a lot of people got in trouble in the 2008, went into 2008, 2009 with real big backlogs, and they found a couple of things. One, the backlogs didn't build out nearly as fast as they thought they were because a lot of projects got delayed. And two, some of them absolutely evaporated. So that's the context I'm talking about. If, if you say, I've got a great budget because I've got a great backlog, I would challenge that assumption and say, what other, support, what other assumptions support that? And, and particularly in the backlog, one of the things with the backlog I would challenge is how fast are you eating through that backlog at what rate, and th- that we could talk more about that later. But there's some key metrics to use uh, on the on the new construction side. And flipping real quick and going to the you know the service dispatch side, that is a much faster turn. Doesn't really have a backlog, so you absolutely have to look at your most recent. Uh, you, you're not going to have a backlog, or you may even not have a a listing of of contracts open. So unless they're annuity type contracts, look at your most recent run rate. I would take 90 day run rate multiplied by four to kind of get a, at least a ballpark feel for what it should be next year. Because as you noted earlier, you could actually under budget, right? So if the service department oh, yeah. doesn't recognize that their service demand has gone through the roof and they're not planning on staffing to that, they could be in real problems when all of a sudden 
they've actually done a great job of building out a service business, but they're unprepared to respond to. And then, of course, that kills a business when you can't respond to the demand that you have. So uh, Joel, a great example. Yeah, Joel, that, that's an excellent point because um, with the um, the whole chain, you know, the purchasing chain and, and the supply chain breakdown, to get a new vehicle is very difficult. Well, if you need to put new crews on, you can't wait six to eight weeks to get that new vehicle on site. So, I've heard tour stories of six to eight months to get those yes. new vehicles. <laughs> and so you have to think ahead. A- um, absolutely. Well, Eric, you and I clearly have a lot of passion about this, and we're right up against our time stop for what we tried a lot for these uh, podcasts. So I'm going to cut us off and ask you to rejoin me on part two of this budgeting conversation. Can you do that for us? I would look forward to it. Uh, I had a few more tidbits I wanted to share. Thank you so much. 